Our scripture reading this morning is the next section in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is uh, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. But we're also going to read the very beginning of the account of what happened that first Pentecost in Acts 2, 1 through 4. So we'll read that first, and then we'll move to uh, this next section in Matthew This is God's holy and infallible word for us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then Matthew 5, this is Jesus continuing in his Sermon on the Mount. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, For you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Pentecost, we know, is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Spirit is that somewhat mysterious third person of the Trinity, The Father and the Son, we tend to have an easier time understanding, but the Bible does tell us a lot about the Spirit and His work. We see Him especially as the one who highlights Jesus and His work. So if sometimes He seems to be a behind-the-scenes person of the Trinity, well, that is somewhat how He's revealed in Scripture. Among his many names, there are all sorts of things we read about him and names that there are for him. One of the names, and you'll see this name in John 14 and John 16 also, I believe, is the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Truth. And that title for the Holy Spirit is really helpful for us as we approach Jesus' teaching in these particular verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about oaths, talks about swearing. An oath, we don't use that term too often, but an oath is really a solemn promise, and it's often made by calling on God's name. This passage is about integrity in our speech, about truthfulness, The letter of James famously talks about the impact of our speech and the importance of it. And James writes about our tongue, that it steers our life much like a very small rudder can steer a huge ship. So our tongues have an incredible impact for bad or good 
It's been said that the difference between a successful career and a mediocre career sometimes is leaving about four or five things a day unsaid. Being careful with our tongue. A successful Christian will be wise. Will be wise in what we say, when we say it, how we say it, and we'll want to be sure that all that we say is the truth spoken in love. This is the fourth time now that Jesus has said, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, but I tell you. He says it six times. This is the fourth one. Here, like the others, he's not contradicting what Moses wrote in the Old Testament. He's not contradicting God's Old Testament word. He's showing, again, how the religious leaders of the day twisted God's word. And then Jesus brings us back to God's will for truthfulness in our speech. Three thoughts today, this morning in the sermon about our speech and about the spirit of truth. And the first one is this. First of all, the father of lies has always defied the spirit of truth. In the very last verse of our text, Jesus refers to the evil one. That's Satan. A name for Satan is the father of lies, according to John 8, 44, which is quite the opposite of this name for the spirit that we're focusing in on today. Now, the spirit of truth, Satan opposes that. He's the father of lies. From the beginning, everything we know about Satan is that he has relied on the lie for his purposes. He lied to Eve in the garden when he told her that if she ate of the fruit God told her not to, she would not surely die. Eve and her husband, too, listened to the lie, ate the fruit. The result was death. God's way, on the other hand, has always been one of truth. God has never broken a promise. Satan has always tried to defy God's way of truth with lies, with half lies, with deceit. He lies to you and me today. He lies about our sin. Oh, you'll really enjoy this. Just, just try it. This will satisfy you. You'll feel good. He lies to us about our situation and our status with God. God would never love a sinner like you. Satan's way is one of lies. Over the years leading up to Jesus' day, a lie, a serious lie, had infiltrated the religious leadership of the Jewish people. They spread the lie that salvation being right with God could come from someone's own righteousness instead of from God's righteousness. So in all those areas that we've talked about so far, murder, adultery, marriage, they reinterpreted God's high standard to make it doable so that they could be saved through a righteousness of their own without God's help. That's the lie that was being taught among God's own people in Jesus' day. Here, we're seeing where they went wrong 
in terms of oaths. And from the beginning, we see that God had allowed oaths, which again, it's a serious, solemn promise for special occasions. The problem wasn't so much in oath-taking, but that they were making oaths all the time. And they were swearing all the time about minor things. And beyond all that, they said that an oath, one of these promises, only needed to be kept if you said it in God's name. It was kind of like a kid who promises something, but his fingers were crossed behind his back. Just kidding, doesn't count. Leviticus 19.12, God said, this is how tricky they were with the truth. He said, God said, you shall not swear by my name falsely. So, tell the truth. They twisted it and they said, this is what God meant. You shall not swear by my name falsely. But you could speak falsely if you swore by other things. And that's why Jesus brings these other things up. You could break your promise, you could break your word anytime you didn't invoke God's name when you made a promise. And what it comes down to is they were fast and loose with the truth. You couldn't trust people's word anymore. Good thing that doesn't happen today, right? Let me take a look here. I can't see that far back. It's on the screen back there. So this is the iPhone 3G ad. Twice as fast, half the price. Neither of those were true. Apple's lawyers in response, both were lies. Not one part of that was true. No reasonable person in the plaintiff's position could have reasonably relied on or misunderstood Apple's statements as claims of fact. Bold-faced lie, and they're saying, how could anyone expect that we would have told the truth? Let's see what else we got here. This is about Subway, a Subway ad. I think we've heard this here, too, but this was in 2013. Australian consumers noticed that Subway's foot-long sandwiches were shorter than a foot, like 10 and a half inches, maybe closer to 10. Subway's response, Subway Footlong is a registered trademark as a descriptive name for the sub sold in Subway restaurants. It's not intended to be a measurement of length. I'm sure that's how we all understand Subway Footlong. It's in no way related to a measurement of length, right? Look at this one. A 2009 ad for Bayer Aspirin. There's a dinosaur there with aspirin. They would still be here if they hadn't caught a cold. So that's a pretty implying that the dinosaurs were, got extinct from a cold. Beyond that, aspirin doesn't prevent a cold. It's just to help once you have one. So a couple of different things going on there that are just twisting of the truth. They are lies. 2010, Kellogg boasted that Rice Krispies and Cocoa Krispies could actually boost kids' immunity. Help Now help support your child's immunity. The Federal Trade Commission told Kellogg to knock it off with these ads. And there's one more. 
I've heard of this drink. Maybe you have too. Coca-Cola marketed vitamin water. by prom- It's called vitamin water. Promise it would boost your immune system, help fight free radicals. When they were sued for this, they responded that they were shocked that anyone would have thought their drink was healthy. No consumer, Coca-Cola's lawyers, no consumer could reasonably be misled into thinking that vitamin water is a healthy beverage. Unbelievable, the lies, especially in the world of advertising. The spirit of truth is defied in our presidential race, so much so that after every debate, there are people who come on the news and sort out for us what was true, what was sort of half true. Lies are expected. We all expect our presidential candidates to lie. It's very, very sad. We see it closer to home, too. I, I think I mentioned this once years ago. At one point as parents, we found out that one of our daughters would lie sometimes about things. A shock, right? A child That a child would lie. We, we were concerned. We talked to a, a wise teacher of hers about this, and we learned that at a certain developmental age, this is actually pretty normal. It's pretty typical. You know, a, a candy wrapper could be on the ground, chocolate covering your three-year-old's face. Sweetie, did you eat a piece of candy when Daddy told you no more? The look right at you, the chocolate over them, the candy wrapper there. No. Straight up, bold-faced lie. Because they don't want to get in trouble. Self-preservation trumps the truth. And, and so we teach our kids this is wrong. And they start getting it over time, hopefully. But for all of us, that is our default position. Ever since our first parents listened to the father of lies in the beginning. We'll outright lie, or at least we'll tell a half-truth or not the whole truth, every one of us, to make ourselves look better, to get ahead a little bit, to make a little more money. We all have the tendency and inclination. Jesus comes in here and he reinstates the spirit of truth. And that's our second point. What God intended all along and Satan disrupts is what Jesus came to reestablish. He reaffirms what the Old Testament was teaching all along. Don't use, use oaths all the time carelessly. Be truthful. And if you think about it, if someone needs to say, I swear this or I swear that for every little thing, they've got a problem with truthfulness. Jesus wants you and me to keep it simple. Let your yes be yes, your no, no. People should know that our word is reliable, that our word is our bond, as we put it. Boys and girls, maybe you've heard kids say, I swear this, I swear that, in order to make you really believe what they're saying. Jesus is saying, Christians don't need to be doing that. When Jesus says anything beyond this comes from the evil one, it doesn't mean that we never ever can use oaths. There are actually a good number of examples of oaths in Scripture by men of God, Abraham and Jacob 
and David. In Genesis 22, God himself speaks an oath. Pilate spoke an oath in Jesus' presence when he was on trial, and Jesus didn't object to it. Today, an example of, of an oath is in a court of law where someone's promised to, to swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We believe as Christians we can do that when we say, so help me, God. A marriage is a promise before witnesses and before God. So really, marriage vows, that's a permissible oath also. This is about day-to-day speaking the simple truth. Don't be sketchy. Don't be slippery with the truth. Be straightforward in your speech, in daily conversation. There's a, a bigger principle about Christian living that comes to mind in this text. Jesus tells his listeners, it doesn't make sense that only swearing by God's name counts. You know, they were swearing by these other things. If you swear by heaven, well, that's God's throne. Earth, well, that's God's footstool. And and people were swearing by Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem is God's city. Or people were swearing by their head. Well, he says, God owns the hairs on your head too. In other words, any and everything we say or do, all that we do, is done before God. In his presence, in a sense, as unto him, because you know what? He owns it all. He sees it all. He's God. There's a term for this, uh, and it's quorum deo, quorum deo. R.C. Sproul is a, is a preacher who likes to use it. It means before the face of God. Sproul once described this idea as the big overarching goal of Christian living. And of course, Christian living is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about, right? We live quorum Deo, before the face of God. Our whole life is in his presence, under his authority, for his glory. God is completely sovereign. It's all under him. It's all for him. There's no higher goal than to please him, our king. And so we want to live a life of integrity, not only for others, not only to look good and be people of integrity in our day-to-day living, but especially we want to live a life of integrity for God because we live before him. So the Lord Jesus is teaching us this. He's reminding us of what the Old Testament really always taught. But thankfully, Jesus has done more than teach us about this. What he also did was he went to the cross to take care of all of our shortcomings in the area of truth too. Because we've been shady. For each one of us, our integrity has been less than stellar. We've all had our dark moments. And we praise the Lord that at Calvary, the lie was overcome. Satan was defeated. He forgives, our God forgives all our sins. God made a promise back in the garden that he would take care of people's sin, and Jesus came to save us. After the cross, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of God, and then he had another great blessing for us yet. 
He sent his spirit at Pentecost to be poured out. And the spirit's work includes filling us with the truth that we would be people of integrity, people of veracity, truthfulness. We read in Acts that the disciples began to speak in other languages. Why was that? Well, it was so that God's truth could go out everywhere, to all corners of the earth, for everyone to hear. Peter has, a little bit later, this amazing sermon where many turn to Jesus. Because of Pentecost, God's people are filled with the truth, and we teach it, and we preach it. But the Spirit, we see in early Acts, doesn't only empower us to preach and hear the truth, but also we're called to live in it every, in every part of our life. In Acts 5, and this is still with the church in the afterglow of Pentecost, possibly just within a couple of days of Pentecost, we see that the spirit of truth has to do with selling real estate, of all things, in Acts 5. And it has to do with giving to the church, of all things. Maybe you've heard the story in Acts 5 of a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They sold a piece of property, and then they gave the money to the apostles to be used by the church. Very generous. They told the church that they were giving all the money from their sale when, in fact, they held back part of the money for themselves. So this was a lie to the church to make themselves look better. Peter said to Ananias when he told the lie, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to men, but to God. And then you know what? Ananias was struck dead. Three hours later, his wife Sapphira comes in. She didn't know yet what happened to her husband. They gave her the chance to speak the truth. She told the same lie. Sapphira struck dead. Heavy, scary passage right there in the context of Pentecost. What does that all mean? Well, I'm sure it means a number of things, but at the least it's giving us a dramatic picture of how the lie is totally antithetical to the spirit of truth. God shows us that the same truth that we proclaim in the power of the Spirit. It's got to permeate all of our living, every part of our, of our doings and what we do. There's no place for crossing our fingers. There's no place for even half-truths and little lies in the Christian life. Finally this morning, we see that by the Spirit of truth, we can live quorum Deo. We're going to celebrate communion. We have the bread and the wine, the grape juice in the middle. These are visible, tangible, smellable symbols of our God's truth-telling. He made an oath. He promised to save us from our sin. And you know what? He carried through on all his promises there are no disclaimers. His lawyers don't have to make excuses for him. There's no false advertising. What was promised, God delivered our salvation. And in the body and the blood of Jesus, 
we have the symbols of the veracity of our God, of his faithfulness. And the Lord's Supper is more than symbols for us to see. The Lord's Supper is also a seal for our hearts. This morning, when you take the Lord's Supper by faith, you know what? You receive in your own life the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of truth. You receive forgiveness for the lies you told, for the truth maybe we've withheld, for the truths maybe that we have told, but done so without love. And we're empowered by the Spirit in our hearts to be people of integrity and honesty and truthfulness in the face of the lies that surround us. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we can celebrate today. Because of the finished work of Jesus, which we celebrate, we can live joyfully, we can live without fear and dread, we can live quorum Deo, before the face of God, using every part of our lives for his glory and honor. And you know what? That is the way to live. Coram Deo.